We've probably all experienced something like this before. You're hanging out with a newer friend, maybe it's a co-worker. You feel like you're getting to know them pretty well. You've barbecued together, your families have barbecued together. You play golf with this guy. Uh, you've been shopping with this girl. And then you learn something about this person that takes you totally by surprise. Imagine the cookout and uh, the kids are throwing the football and, and your buddy kind of motions for them to give him the ball. And he says, go on. And, and your 11-year-old runs and runs and runs and then your friend throws this perfect 60-yard spiral right into the outstretched arms of your 11-year-old son. And you kind of look at him like, and he winks and says, all district, senior year. <laughs> or imagine that you go to the new Vietnamese place with your friend and uh, your mind is blown when she orders and has a long conversation in Vietnamese with the server at the restaurant. And your eyes are big and wide and open. And she says, you realize I lived in Vietnam until I was 13 because of my dad's work. There are things in life that we experience where we learn more about people, more about situations and backgrounds of their lives. Where we get to, to go one step deeper in their experiences, their personalities, and our relationship with them. And in some sense, in some way, that's what the Gospels are all about. We get to go deeper, chapter by chapter, story by story, verse by verse, verse into the life and ministry and the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospels, as we talked about last week, are like a portfolio of Christ's work. And on each page, we learn more and more about him. We get to experience him in deeper and more profound ways. And in some ways, that's what life is like. That's what the Christian life is about, isn't it? It's from the Bible, through prayer, through our life experiences, learning and relearning and remembering and experiencing in new and deeper ways the love and the glory and the majesty and the holiness and the beauty and the kindness of Jesus Christ. Learning day by day, week by week, month by month, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's with us, that he's in control, that we can't run our own lives. And in some sense, that's what we see this morning. We see one more expression, a deeper expression of who Jesus is. And what I want us to think about this morning is that Jesus is Lord, specifically that he's the Lord of forgiveness. And we'll look at several aspects from Luke 5 this morning. First of all, I want us to see that Jesus is Lord through prayer and teaching. We'll actually take a step back for a moment and look at verse 16 at the end of when he healed this leper. It says that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. To think about Jesus as Lord, uh, we probably wouldn't go to him praying and teaching as a thing that demonstrates that he's Lord first. We'd probably go to the fact that he healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and raised the dead. But here's the thing. Jesus' Lordship, his power... Is his authority is expressed and demonstrated in these two 
seemingly small but world-changing realities. Jesus is Lord through prayer. Even though his life was getting hectic, more and more people were coming to him, what did he do? He made time, a regular, normal, important part of his life was withdrawing to desolate places to pray. And this is a wonderful expression of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In the press of life, with the tyranny of the urgent, with all these people that were coming to him who wanted to be healed, who wanted to hear the word of God, which are great things. With all of that, the Lord of glory got off by himself. He spent time in prayer. Now today, we call this self-care. We, saw, we call it soul care, but it wasn't something that was invented in the last 20 years. Jesus shows us that the practices of our lives, often the simple underestimated practices of our lives, are some of the most important ones in shaping who we are and who we become. How do we live the Christian life? How do we grow? How do we weather the storms and go through the joys in life? Jesus reminds us, in part, we do that through the regular patterns and practices and rhythms and disciplines of our lives. It was his custom to go where? We've already read about this. To go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He went to church. He would also get away. He quieted his heart and his life to spend time in prayer with his Heavenly Father. This is important now more than ever. Do you have times, practices and patterns of prayer set up in your life? Do you have times and patterns and rhythms where you can tune out the world so you can fellowship with God in prayer? Maybe it means spending 15 minutes in the morning when you wake up to pray to God before you reach for this little joker right here. Maybe it means going on a walk without your earbuds so you can spend time in fellowship and prayer and communion with God. Part of Jesus' Lordship is expressed in Him making personal, private, unplugged prayer and fellowship with God a priority. His Lordship is expressed in our lives in the same way. Jesus is Lord not only through prayer, but He's Lord through teaching. I love how this passage begins in verse 17. On one of those days, we would say, there was this other time, and uh, on one of those days, what was He doing? He was teaching. This was part and parcel to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He taught He preached, he explained the law of God and the love of God and the gospel of grace. That was the bread and butter of his ministry. It was the anchor of what he did. He healed and performed miracles and he accomplished so many things. But from the beginning, in synagogues, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, in the temple, in the mountains, in the countryside, what did Jesus do? He taught, he preached. He broke the bread of life for them and for us. Teaching and instructing crowds of thousands 
And sitting across the table from someone one-on-one teaching has been part of the central aspect of Christian practice and mission from the very beginning. Our ministry now is rooted in and anchored in Christ, the living Word of God. Jesus is Lord through teaching. One of the ways we experience and express His Lordship in this world and in our mission as a church is to remain faithful to above and beyond and under and over everything else we do, faithful to preach and teach the Word of God and the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing I want us to see. Jesus is Lord through prayer and teaching. Secondly, Jesus is Lord in spite of opposition. A lot of times we think if if someone opposes you, that means we have to give up and it's over. But Jesus is Lord in spite of of opposition. This is one of the themes of Jesus' ministry. This is one of the themes of Christianity that there will be people who oppose the life of Jesus and the message of Christianity. And that happens here in this text. Look at verse 17 again. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. It's really interesting. Jesus was preaching, he was teaching. They were sitting there. It doesn't say they were listening. They weren't sitting there like Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Try to picture it. They were sitting there, arms crossed, furrowed brow, pencils ready, looking for anything that he possibly said that they could latch on to. See? See? I knew it. I knew it. He's a blasphemer. He's an imposter. They were sitting there, and they came, the Bible says, from all over. It also says it in verse 17. Word about Jesus' ministry must have spread like wildfire. So they came from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Where they are right now was probably a three to four day journey from Jerusalem. They brought in the big guns from corporate. They were ready to find fault with the ministry of Jesus Christ. They went at, they came after Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He simply did his thing. He did his thing. He wasn't surprised by their opposition. He prayed, he taught, and he healed It didn't derail him. It didn't crush him. He simply did his thing. Jesus is Lord in spite, in spite of growing opposition. And here's the thing for us. There are plenty of avenues and angles of opposition to Jesus Christ now in this world and in our lives. Some people have intellectual difficulties with Christ. Others have been hurt and burned by life, which are their roadblocks to faith. Others simply want to live life on their own terms. There always has been, there always will be opposition to Christ and his message. But listen, Jesus is still the Lord. He's still Lord. He's still calling people to himself who fight him, who run from him, who avoid him, even people who hate him. And I bet you there are people in this room who can give testimony to that, that God 
came to rescue them when they were running away from him. He calls us to humbly and faithfully and persistently and courageously profess and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, his lordship to a lost and dying world. Even in the face of opposition, God will take care of us and God will take care of the results. Jesus is Lord through teaching and prayer. He's the Lord even in the face of growing opposition. But Jesus is Lord, and that means, thirdly, that we should trust in Him. This passage gives us another beautiful, powerful picture of courageous faith. There was a paralyzed man, and we don't know much about him. We don't know the extent of his paralysis, but it's pretty obvious that he couldn't walk. And try to think about this. There were no wheelchairs. There were no handicap-accessible bathrooms. There were no ADA compliance rules. Paralyzed folks were confined to home. Or maybe someone would carry them out to a street corner so they could beg for money in their life. This man, just like the leper from last week, had plenty of opportunity to know and see and realize that he needed help. He didn't just need help every day. He needed help every hour of every day. Think about the most basic human tasks he needed help with. And there are a couple things that I think are helpful for us to see. This paralyzed man trusted in Christ. The Bible doesn't tell us whose idea it was to take him to go to meet Jesus. I don't know if it was his idea or his friends came and they picked him up to carry him to the house. But he had to be willing to believe that Jesus could change him. It took courage to believe and to hope that his life could possibly be changed. Have you ever been there before in your life? Part of faith is believing and hoping and trusting that Jesus can work in your life and in the lives of others. That he can heal and forgive and bind up wounds and hurt. How easy for it, how easy would it have been for this man to say, you know what, I've been through this before. Nothing's going to change. No one can help me. This is just the way it is. Are there areas in your life where you're toying with hopelessness? I can't stop sinning this way. It's the same old cycle. What's the use in even trying? I want to challenge you and charge you to look to Jesus Christ in hope. And to reach out to him and others for help in those areas where you feel hopeless. Do you know where hopelessness grows best? In the darkness, in the shadows, in isolation. The reality is that those situations may not change right away. They may not change overnight. The reality is those situations may not change But trusting in Christ and waiting on Christ in those areas of our lives give us new perspective and outlook and hope. 
Not only did this man trust in Christ, but these men trusted in Christ. I love it. It says Jesus saw their faith. They had faith. They, they brought their friend. And it doesn't say how they knew him. Maybe he was their brother or their cousin or their friend from childhood. They, they carried him up. They got to the door of the house. And what did they find? There are too many people inside. You know, they could have just gone home at that point. Eh, we tried. We gave it a, we gave it a good shot. But uh, it's just too busy. We can't do anything. This is where their uh, courageous, hold nothing back, don't care about the consequences faith kicked in. They climbed up on the roof of the house. And this is not like us climbing on the roof. This was something that people normally did. They would go on the roof of their homes to, uh, to entertain people, maybe to dry their laundry. The bold thing was that they went on the roof of the house so that they could tear a hole in the roof. Now, this wasn't a convertible house. Um, it didn't have T-tops. It was, it was a regular house that had tiles on the roof, and they destroyed the roof so that they could let down their friend into the midst of the crowd in front of Jesus. Dirt and debris and stuff must have fallen all over the people in that house. I, I always wondered what the look on the owner's face would have been like. And this was happening. And they tore apart the roof to let down their friend. This is radical faith. And it started with the paralyzed man or his friends saying, we've got to go see Jesus Christ. He can help you. And it's interesting. There was a hurdle. There was a roadblock, but they improvised and overcame the hurdle. There was a roadblock, but they they went around the roadblock. Maybe there are circumstances in your life this morning or events that have kept you from truly trusting and following and crying out to Jesus Christ for life. Maybe you have friends or family members who say that they can't trust in Jesus because something bad has happened in their life or because of the pain or the disappointment or the scars that they have. Maybe they've been hurt by Christians or hurt by a Christian leader. And those are the seemingly insurmountable obstacles that keep them from coming to Jesus. And I'm sure that this man and his friends had some of the same thoughts Think about all the the days where he may have cried himself to sleep or clenched his teeth and his hands in anger. Why me, God? But here, he's past that. He realizes there's nowhere else to go. There's no one else who can help You can fight and resist and avoid and be angry with God for the things that have happened in your life. Or you can cry out to Him in faith and say, I don't understand, God. I'm still hurt. I'm wounded and confused, but I can't do this anymore. You are God. You're the Lord. Help me. Please have mercy on me. And you know what God does when we do that? 
He has mercy on us. And He's gracious to us. The fourth thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus is Lord and He gives unexpected grace. Verse 40 again, it says that He saw their faith. Faith is the pathway to receiving the grace of Christ. It's a tool. It's an instrument. It's not the thing that earns God's favor. It's the thing that taps into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what's interesting in this story. Jesus begins by saying, Son, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, when we see this part of the story, we think, hold on, Jesus, you don't understand what's happening. You don't get it. I would have loved to see his face when he said, thank you, but can you do something about my legs that don't work? When we read this and we see that Jesus says, your your sins are forgiven, we think that he doesn't understand. He doesn't know what's happening. He knows perfectly. Jesus knows exactly what we need. And he knew that the most important thing for this paralyzed man was not for his body to work properly. The most important thing was for him to have his sins forgiven. To have full and free access to God. We have a list of things in our lives. We probably don't have it written down anywhere. A list of things that we think we need. Higher pay at work. A bigger house. A better car. More respect from our spouse. An absence of stress. Obedient children. Less controlling parents. Some things have to do with our health. Or our lives. Or those that we love. And I don't mean to belittle or minimize any of those things. But here it's as if Jesus is saying, I know you and I love you and your greatest need is not those things. Your greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. You need to be cleansed and healed and washed and forgiven. And I've got good news for you. That's exactly what I came to do. That's exactly why I'm here. Don't forget, Jesus is the Lord of forgiveness. But then he goes on in the story so you may know. Not only is this guy probably a little bit confused, the Pharisees are up in arms. They're all stirred up. They call Jesus a blasphemer. And he says, why do you question in your hearts? He's essentially saying, you know I'm the Holy One of God. Why are you questioning this? And then this question in verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk? And initially, we'd probably think it's easier to just say your sins are forgiven you. But the reality is, that's something that took the movement of heaven to earth to accomplish. It's actually easier to say, rise up and walk. It's easier to heal a man with a broken body than to forgive sins. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to... to forgive sin, and so that we may know that he has the power to do that, he heals this man. Only God can forgive sin, and in God's glorious and unexpected plan, 
He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death that he didn't deserve. The death that should have been reserved for us. God moved heaven to earth in order to forgive our sins. He turned his back on himself. God shed his own blood so that we could be with him forever. Forgiveness took a lot. And Jesus displayed his authority here and saying, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin, I say to you, rise up and walk. These men came looking for something from Jesus and they left with way more than they bargained for. See, Jesus is Lord because He gives us unexpected grace. He's Lord and He still pours out unexpected, lavish grace on people. And it may include the healing of your disease or the erasing of the hurt from your past or maybe not. But it can include a deeper realization that He loves you and that He's with you. And that He can and will walk with you through whatever storms or valleys or mountaintops that life has to offer. And what happens? The more we trust in Him, the more unexpected grace He gives. The deeper we go with Christ, what do we learn about Him? That He's worthy. That He's loving. That He's gracious. That He's kind. That He is able to carry the stuff that we thought, there's no way He can carry this. There's no way He can help or forgive or, or get us through this situation. He loves to give unexpected, glorious grace. Have you tasted that in your life? Do you have the faith and the courage to trust in Christ with the hardest most impossible things in your life. If you do, He has unexpected grace for you. The last thing I want us to see this morning is Jesus is Lord. We should glorify Him. This passage winds up with this formerly paralyzed man giving honor and glory and worship to Jesus Christ. And it begins uh, personally. He picks up his bed This man's life has been changed forever. He went home and he told people, glorifying, praising, worshiping God. Not only did he heal my paralysis, he forgave my sins. He gave me life. He saved my soul. And and we get this. We, We love to talk to people about things that are important to us, don't we? We have an awesome meal at a restaurant. We tell our friends about it. When there's a doctor or a physical therapist who's helped us with our pain, we tell other people about us. We talk about the show that we've been binge-watching on Netflix. We, we share and talk about the big game that our team won. What would our lives look like if we learned more and more To talk about Jesus with others. For the Lordship of Christ through our prayers and conversations and words and thoughts, the love of Christ, the glory of Christ. What would our lives look like if we, like this man, would glorify God more and more in the way that we live? 
I mean, one thing it means is we'd have to remember and know who God is and what he's done. It kind of goes back to the first point. We have to pray. We have to spend time with him. We have to read and sit under the teaching of his word so that we can can remember who he is. And as we fellowship with God and learn from God through prayer and confession and repentance, thanking and honoring and glorifying him becomes easier. With the brothers and sisters in Christ and with those outside of Christ. I think we're afraid to talk about the Lord because there are so many examples of people talking about Jesus in a cheesy or an obnoxious way. We need to pray and practice giving God the glory in our lives. And the more we do it, the more natural it will become. Jesus is Lord and we should glorify him. And it wasn't just this man that did it. It says in the text that all the people were amazed and they glorified God. They were seized with amazement. They gave thanks and praise to God. And they were also shaken to their core the magnitude of what happened here. That's what happens when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's glorious and confounding. It's amazing and beautiful, grace-filled, life-changing, and it's overwhelming and humbling and foundation-shaking and mind-blowing. They were filled with awe, verse 26, and amazement. It seized them. It gripped them. They couldn't ignore it. They couldn't get over it. And it's not just the people in the house. I love how so many stories from the Bible are open-ended. It says that all the people did this. And I believe that some of those people included some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You see, Christ's lordship, God's grace, extends to all sorts of people. Folks who are overwhelmed by their sin and their past and the brokenness of this world. And to folks who are filled with self-righteous spiritual pride. There were people who came that day thinking, I'll never be changed. I'm never going to be forgiven. I can never really be accepted and washed and healed and made whole. And their lives were changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And there were people that came that day who thought they had all the answers. Who said to themselves, thank you God that I'm not like other people. Who thought that Jesus Christ was a joke. They came to deride him. And they left disciples. They came to find fault with him, and they left forgiven. You ever thought about this? There is so much more to Jesus Christ and his grace than we ever dreamed or imagined. And if we lean into him and walk deeper with him through life, we'll find year by year that he is faithful and that his love and his grace and the gospel is bigger and stronger and more powerful than we ever dreamed or imagined.
Do you have the courage and the faith to believe that today? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you just feel stuck. Do you have the faith to believe that God is faithful and worthy and worth it and that Jesus Christ's grace is big enough for the problems that are in your life? Maybe you've been running away from God. You don't know him. You've never trusted in him. There's life and hope in him and in his name. Do you have the courage and the faith to trust him today? Let's pray.